Um, I have the real privilege uh, of inviting um, Tope to um, come and speak. Tope uh, is a friend of ours. He's uh, preached with us many times over the last few years. Uh, you got to be, come up, Tope. Um, you got to be uh, with us last year, didn't you, for the first time in person after um, blessing us many, many times uh, on Zoom. So um, I just want to uh, pray for Tope uh, as he begins. Father God, thank you so much that you bless us with one another. Thank you that as we pray for this belonging course, we remember that we are many people but one body and we need one another. And we thank you so much for the gift that Tope is, uh, for the way that he blessed us this morning at first service uh, and for the way that you're gonna use him to bless us uh, now. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Life Church. Um, Good to be with you uh, for those who... I see a few faces who were here during the first service, so good to see you again. And for those who are just here for the, for the second service, good to see you too. Um, yeah, it's great to be here, to be among you. Uh, I'm going to be continuing your series that you've been doing this morning, uh, over this last few weeks, sorry, on Acts chapter, on, on the book of Acts, um, to the ends of the earth. You know, talking about taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. I know what an exciting mission, you know, that is that Jesus Christ has given his church, you know, to basically increase, to spread the the good news of his gospel to all people. But, you know, one thing uh, about spreading the good news is that as Christians, you know, we should expect uh, persecution. You know, when Christ was uh, speaking to his disciples, he didn't mince words, you know, he said, the world hated me and because they've hated me, they will hate you as well. And we've already seen in the earlier chapters of how the church suffered persecution um, from the religious establishment. And I think increasingly for us today as well, you know, we can expect, um, if not now, but some in the future, that we will uh, face persecution as God's people. You know, because the, the, the message that we have, because what we say is counter to the culture of the world that we live in, it's a message that some people will find offensive. And because they find it offensive, they will persecute us. And, you know, we are, I guess, lucky that um, maybe the extent to the persecution that we face now will be, is much less than what we read about uh, people facing in the book of Acts, and even less than what brothers and sisters in different parts of the world are facing today. You know, I went to um, university in Nigeria, and in university there was a, a lady who was in the same Christian fellowship that I was in, and we were in fellowship around the same time. We graduated around the same time, so she got married a few years later. Then she went to live in a part of Nigeria, in the northern part, predominantly Muslim area, with with her husband. And she was a a teacher um, in a secondary school, a Christian lady. They knew she was a a Christian. So one day during the exam, when they were having exams, uh, she caught a student um, cheating. She took the paper that a student had that we, and, she, and she ripped it off and then she was accused falsely because they knew she was a Christian that she had torn um, part of the Quran and that was uh, something that was take, taken very seriously. She was falsely accused. She was carried out of the school, a mob. Uh, basically, they, they beat her, they, they stoned her, stabbed her and they, and they murdered her. And that was what she suffered because of her faith. You know, when things like this happen, you ask yourself that, um, you know, where, where is God in all of this? You know, she was a, a, a good lady, a good family. She had two, two young children. And, you know, God, why, why do things like this happen? And I think the, what we, 
that I'm going to talk about today in the book of Acts chapter 12. It's helpful. It's helpful because it reminds us that, you know, God is sovereign. God is still in control. He has never lost control. He never will lose control. And there are some things that we may never fully understand, I guess, fully appreciate on on this side of eternity. And it's only when we cross over to the other side and we see our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ face to face that we will finally have answers and understanding of some of these things. So I'm going to read from um, Acts chapter 12, which is what we're going to be looking into today, through today. I'm going to read the whole chapter. I believe that God uh, will even begin to speak to some of us as we read through this chapter. It's always good to, to read the word of God and hear what God himself has to say uh, about himself, what he has to say to the church. So I'm going to start, Acts chapter 12, start from verse 1. So about that time, King Herod violently attacked some who belonged to the church, and he executed James, John's brother, with the sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter too during the festival of unleavened bread. After the arrest, he put him in prison and assigned four squads of four soldiers each to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was praying fervently to God for him. When Herod was about to bring him out for trial, that very night, Peter, bound with two chains, was sleeping between two soldiers, while the sentries in front of the door guarded the prison. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. Striking Peter on the side, he woke him up and said, quick, get up, and the chains fell off his wrists. Get dressed, the angel told him, and put on your sandals, and he did. Wrap your cloak around, around you, he told him, and follow me. So he went out and followed. He did not know that, and he did not know that what the angel did was really happening, but he thought he was seeing a vision. After they passed the first and second guards, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened to them by itself. They went outside and passed one street, and suddenly the angel left him. Now Peter came to himself. He said, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's grasp and from all that the Jewish people expected. As soon as he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many had assembled and were praying. He knocked at the door of the outer gate and a servant named Rhoda came to answer. She recognized Peter's voice and because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the outer gate. You're out of your mind, they told her, but she kept insisting that it was true. And they said, it's his angel. Peter, however, kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. Motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell these things to James and the brothers, he said, and he left and went to another place. At daylight, there was a great commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had searched and did not find him, he interrogated the guards and ordered their execution. Then Herod went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Together they had presented themselves before him. After winning over Blastus, who was in charge of the king's bedroom, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food from the king's country. On an appointed day, dressed in royal robes and seated on the throne, Herod delivered a speech to them. The assembled people began to shout, it's the voice of a God and not a man. 
At once an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. And he died, eaten by, and, he, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God flourished and multiplied. After they had completed their mission, Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem, taking along John, who was called Mark. Mighty God, we just thank you for your word. And I just pray that as we look into your word this morning, as you speak to us, Lord, I pray that our hearts will be open to what it is that you have to say uh, to us, your church, and to us as individuals, mighty God. Speak through me to your people, Lord, and I pray that, uh, yes, that, uh, you will use me, Father, to bless your people this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, um, you know, what we read about here is what the church was still facing, persecution. You know, they had faced persecution earlier, which was, uh, I guess, persecution from the religious establishment, and now they come face to face with political persecution in the form of Herod. You know, Herod was uh, like a puppet ruler appointed uh, by the Romans to rule over Judea, over the Jewish people. So, you know, Herod wanted to get the Jewish people on side because the more they were on side, you know, the more they were at peace uh, with him as their king, I guess the better he would look in the eyes of the, of the Roman rulers. So to curry favor with them, we're told that he violently attacks the church. You know, he sees that here's this group of people, the church, these Christians who the Jewish people don't seem to have much time for. In fact, they, they hate them. So I'm probably going to gain some popularity if I attack these people. And so he rages against them and violently attacks them. And we're told that he, first of all, he executes James, the brother of John, you know, one of the 12 apostles. And seeing that this has increased his popularity with the people, typical of a politician, he wants more popularity. And so what does he do? He goes on to arrest Peter. And his plan for Peter is pretty much like it was for James, but he's kind of hindered a bit by the Passover and he has to wait until the Passover ends before he can put Peter on trial and um, go on to maybe kill him as well. So imagine how the church must have felt in all of this. You know, they've just experienced like, the warmth and fellowship of the church, which is growing now outside of Jerusalem. They've sent relief to them through Barnabas and Paul for the famine that they were facing. And they've probably been encouraged as well by the first-hand accounts from Paul and Barnabas of how the gospel is spreading, beginning to spread to the ends of the earth. And then they're struck by this wave of hostile persecution um, from Herod. You know, James, the brother of John, he's dead and Peter's in prison, and he's probably destined for the, same, for the same fate. Two prominent leaders of the church, you know, are, 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 are you know, kind of under attack at this time. And it must have been a difficult time for the church. And I can imagine, especially for John. You know, John was the brother of James. You know, both of them, we read about them in the Gospels, James and John, the, uh, the sons of Zebedee, two fishermen. And he may have had questions in his mind. The church may have had questions as, why was God allowing this to happen? You know, they might have even thought that if, these, if this kind of thing can happen to people like James and Peter, then what could happen to the rest of us? And to an outsider who was maybe looking into the church, they might have felt that the church looks pretty helpless right now. You know, they don't seem to have an answer to what's going on, to what Herod is throwing at them. And when all the church could do was actually pray, you know, they couldn't mount some kind of rescue mission to free Peter from jail. They may have felt that the church was in a helpless position. 
And sometimes we may feel the same way in situations that we face. You know, maybe you're dealing with a loved one who is, um, who is sick, maybe terminally ill. Maybe you're still coming to terms with the death of a loved one. Or maybe you're dealing with unemployment, you're dealing with I don't know, a difficult financial future. Or maybe you're having to deal with a child who's turned away from God and the consequences of working through that. And in all of this, you know, sometimes we kind of maybe feel helpless in the same way maybe the early church might have felt helpless. In all of this, we might feel that, yes, all we can do is pray. And that sometimes is, in fact, that is all we can do as believers to pray. And that's what we must do. We must pray. Because that was the response of the early church. You know, while they were grieving for James, while they were filled with concern about Peter, what we're told that they came to do was that they came together and they were fervently praying for him. And that word fervently doesn't mean that they weren't like praying, I don't know, gentle prayers. They were fervent, they were stretched, strained in their prayers for Peter because they were in a place where they realized that only God could help them. Only God could bring about deliverance in this situation. And for us as the church, prayer has to be our lifeblood. It must be the lifeblood of the church because we can't do anything, we cannot achieve anything without prayer. It's prayer that shows that we are completely reliant on God. And to be honest, that's where we must always be, in a place of total reliance, total submission to God. You know, when Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2.1, he says, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings be made for all people. Timothy, the first thing you need to do is to pray. Before you do anything else, you must pray. I think that God is saying that to you this morning as Life Church, that the first thing of first importance, first priority, is that you must pray. Before you do anything else, always come to me in the place of prayer. So the time comes, Passover is complete, and now Herod is getting ready to carry out his show trial of Peter and believing that he'll execute him in the same way that he's executed James. And so we find Peter in this place and what could have been his final night alive in, this, in the world. And we're told that when Herod was about to bring him out for trial, that very night, Peter, bound with two chains, was sleeping between two soldiers. So think about it. If, uh, I don't want to say if it was your last night, but just imagine if you were in that place where Peter was about to be put on trial the next morning. Would you be sleeping? Be honest with me. Would, would you be fast asleep? Would you? You'd probably be fretting, probably be a bit anxious. But we're told that not just was Peter sleeping, he was sleeping soundly. You know, he was, he was completely gone in this place of sleep. So gone that when the angel came to deliver him, the angel had to poke him on the side to wake him up. That's how deeply asleep Peter was. So we don't get the sense here that Peter was actually worried about the situation that he was in. You know, he was strengthened by the church. I believe he was strengthened by the prayers that were being raised for him. And you know, Peter, I think, took some of his own advice that he gives us in 1 Peter 5, 7, where he tells us to cast all our anxieties on God because God cares for us. So Peter was in that place where he realized that actually God cared for him more than he probably cared for himself. And what a wonderful transformation we see in Peter's life. Because this is the same Peter who denied Christ three times 
because he wanted to save his life. But now completely transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, you know, he has cast all his anxieties on God and he's not worried about the situation that he's in. And, in John, and he may be remembered as well the prophecy that Christ gave him in John 21, 18 about the manner of death that he would face where Christ told him that truly I say to you when you were young you used to dress yourself, walk wherever you wanted but when you are old you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And he probably realized that he was not yet an old man and this was not the kind of death that Christ had predicted that he was gonna face and he probably realized that this was not my time. He found peace he found rest in the promises of God. And maybe today somebody, God is saying to someone here that you need to rest in the promises that I've given you. You need to rest in those prophetic words that have been spoken over your life. Don't worry, don't fret, rest in the things that I've said. Because the things that I've said are more than able, more than capable of bringing them to pass. And so here we are, you know, Herod has also gone to great lengths to make Pete sure that Peter doesn't escape because he knows that Peter has form in this area of escaping from these kind of tricky uh, prison situations. So he's guarded by four squads of four soldiers and he's chained in between two of them. And then suddenly the angel appears in the midst of this whole situation and the cell lights up. Peter doesn't wake up. It must have been a bright light, but he's still fast asleep. And then the angel pokes him, strikes him on the side to wake him up. The chains fall off and Peter still half asleep. So the angel has to give him precise instructions about what to do. So get dressed, Peter. Peter gets dressed. Put on your sandals, Peter. Peter puts on his sandals. Wrap your cloak around you. He wraps his cloak around him and then follow me and he obeys and he begins to walk off uh, with the angel. And in all of this, Peter thinks that he's in a vision. He's not fully awake yet. He still feels that this must be a vision, everything that I'm seeing that's happening here. So they walk past the guards and they walk to the iron gate. And here we have the first automatic gate that we, that we know of in the world. Because we're told that it opens by itself. As they come to the gate, it just opens by itself and they walk through. And then now the angel disappears and then Peter comes to himself and he realizes this is not a dream that God has delivered me. In his own words, he says, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's grasp and, that, and all that the Jewish people expected. No, that is the power of God at work. You know, turning around the expectations of the people and fulfilling his own purposes, bringing about what he wants to do. And so Peter goes to the house of Mary, um, John Mark's mother, where the church are praying for him. He knocks on the door and uh, the servant girl Rhoda comes and I always get um, amused when I read this portion of scripture. You know, when she hears his voice, rather than open the gate, she runs inside and says, Peter, Peter's at the door. And the people are still praying for Peter. So they're praying for Peter and they're told that Peter is at the door, but they don't believe her. You know, rather than go and open the door, welcome Peter in, they want to keep on praying. And sometimes we have to ask ourselves that, when we pray, do we have an expectation that God is going to answer our prayers? Do we? Or when we pray, do we just kind of, are we just praying because it's, it's the right thing to do? The Bible tells us to pray, but there's no real expectation in our hearts that God will answer these prayers. And then when we pray as well, 
You know, do we have some spiritual formula in our heads about how God will answer those prayers? Because I kind of feel that the, the people, as they prayed, they probably had some way that God was going to answer them. Maybe, God, maybe the prayer was that God would strengthen Peter in the trials that he was about to face. Give him the, 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 the comfort, give him the strength to face what was coming to him. Or maybe they were praying that, Lord, touch the heart of Herod, that he'll change his mind and release Peter back to us. But one thing was that they were not expecting God to deliver Peter in this miraculous way. And I'm sure that there were some of them in that meeting that their lives were changed. You know, they were reacquainted with the God who performs miracles, the God who can deliver from seemingly impossible situations. You know, the same God that Joshua prayed to and the sun and the moon stood still for an entire day. That is the God that we serve. And we have to ask ourselves sometimes that the way we live our lives as Christians, does it measure up with the God that we claim to serve? Because if it did, then many things that we worry about, we wouldn't worry about them because we know that God will take care of them. You know, many of the challenges that we face, the things that cause us to worry, to fret, to get anxious, we'd handle those things very, very differently in the light of the God that we say that we serve. And so sometimes it can be easy to criticize these Christians about how they responded to Peter's release. But how often are we guilty of exactly the same thing? I, don't, I just really feel that God is saying this morning that when you come to pray to him, what is your expectation? I'm saying when you come to pray to me, expect the unexpected. Expect the unexpected when you come and you pray. Trust me for miracles, for acts of deliverance. Trust me that you will see people healed. Trust me that you will see people saved. A question that might spring to our minds is that why was Peter delivered and not James? A question that came to my mind when I heard about my, what happened to my friend was that, Lord, why didn't you save her? Why didn't you deliver her from that situation? Question might come to your mind that, Lord, why haven't you healed this person I've been praying for for such a long time? And these are all valid questions. And I think what these things show is that, and why we have portions like this in scripture, is to show that life is not always rosy for us as Christians. There will be challenges. There will be difficult times. And some of these things, there, there are no answers to them, at least on this side of eternity. We don't know why some of these things happen. What we do know is that God is sovereign in all of this. God is in control in all of these situations. And that you know, God's perfect, good and perfect will will always be done. It's not comfortable to think about sometimes. I struggle sometimes thinking about the fact that there is suffering, that there is pain. I struggle thinking about the fact that there could be a time that I might have to face persecution because I, I have to stand up for my faith. And it's not a comfortable thought. But I think what keeps us going in times like this is what lies on the other side of eternity. The promises of God where he says that he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. I think that John took comfort in this, that the day was coming when the tears that he shed for his brother would be wiped away by God. I think that God wants someone here to take comfort in this, that the time is coming when those tears you're shedding are going to be wiped away. The time is coming when that loved one who's passed away, that you will see them again at the foot of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. The time is coming when there won't be any more mourning, there won't be any more crying, there won't be any more tears, because all those things would have passed away. But even now, while we wait for that time, we can still come to God in prayer. We can still come to God in expectation. We can still come to God and trust that as we pray for people to be healed or to be delivered from different situations, that God can and that God will answer. Not all the time, but there will be times that God will answer those prayers and we will see people healed. But the thing is that if we're not praying about these things, then we're probably never going to see these things. But as we do pray for them, then we trust that there will be times that we're going to see God's mighty hand at work. Because ultimately, God is looking to glorify himself. He's looking to see his word flourish and multiply to the ends of the earth. And that's what we read in verse 24. You know, after everything happened, yes, James was dead, Peter was free, Herod was dead, but the word of God flourished and multiplied. And that's God's ultimate aim that his word flourishes and multiplies. And he'll do what he needs to do to ensure that, that, flour- that his word flourishes and multiplies. So are we ready to partner with God to see that his word flourishes and multiplies? Are you ready to take the gospel to the ends of the earth? Are you ready to take the gospel to, the, to your community, to friends, family, colleagues at work, in this, in Peterborough? And then, for some of you, God might be saying that, yes, he does want you to go beyond Peterborough to the far reaches of the world. You know, I really feel that God wants to do great things. He wants to do mighty things through us, his people. And in doing that, we will face challenges. In doing that, we are going to face struggles. We are going to face pains. But in all of this, we can put our hopes and trust in God. Pray to him expectantly. And that word just keeps coming to my mind, expectantly, expectation. Have that expectation when we pray and just trust in God's sovereignty. He's trusting his sovereignty and keep our eyes, keep our gaze fixed on eternity. Because one day, you know, the time we spend here is limited compared to how long we're going to spend with God in eternity. You know, that time that um, you know, I spent with my friend, thing, we, were in, we were in university for about five years together, that was a limited time compared to how long we'll be together with God in eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We give you praise and we give you glory, Lord. I just thank you, Father God, because uh, we can find comfort with you, Lord, in the midst of the pain, the suffering, 
in the, in, in the hurts and what this world throws at us, we can find comfort in you, mighty God. And we just thank you because we see the contrast today, Lord. Uh, you know, James died, Peter was delivered. So on one hand, the church found comfort in you with what happened with James, but at the same time, the church rejoiced because of the miraculous deliverance that uh, Peter had, Lord. And in all of these things, Lord, you are still God. So Father, I just pray that uh, you will you know, let this word just really rest upon our hearts, Lord. Uh, speak to us, Father, you know, from this word today, mighty God. You know, we're all in different places. We've all had different experiences of life. And we're all going through different situations right now, Lord. And I just uh, ask, Lord, that um, you know, we will find comfort in you, Lord. Always coming back to that place of prayer, Lord. That's where we get our strength, Lord. You know, your word says that they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength, mighty God. And as we come to you, Lord, I pray that we will come with expectation, Lord. You know, that, that there'll be real expectation in our hearts, mighty God. And yeah, we will expect the unexpected things, Lord. And when they happen, Father, I pray that our amazement will be at the fact that you are such an, an awesome God, Lord. Not amazement because uh, we weren't expecting that, but just the continual amazement of just how awesome a God you are. So Father, thank you, Lord. Uh, bless your people, Lord. Bless our hearts, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. God bless you. Thank you.